Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> okay, let's do this. We have, we have got a great guest with us today. And uh, before we get to our guests, I want to introduce the fantastic Dan Perkins, or as uh, a progressive radio booker referred to him one time as the most dangerous man in America. And uh, we also have IQ Al-Rizzoli joining us from the United Kingdom. IQ has spent, what is it, 25 thousand dollars or something on a green card when you could have just snuck in through the mexican border no 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 don't exaggerate we're not biden ten thousand (laughs) dollars and we have a interesting uh guest with us today i have been a fan of david knight for a heck of a long time uh, he has done all sorts of different things. He's he's done independent journalism. He worked for Infowars. He's done his own thing, and he has an incredible studio. If you're watching us on uh, Twitch or uh, Clout Hub or any of our places where we uh, do our video, uh, David has a fantastic studio, and uh, he is the best dressed man on this panel today. Who knows? Maybe IQ is best dressed, but IQ. We don't know what IQ looks like, David. So, uh, <laughs> David Knight is with us. David, welcome to the broadcast. How are you, sir? Well, thank you. It's great to be here. You are uh, a pretty damn amazing journalist. How did you get started doing all of this? Well, thank you. I, I guess I just had to do it. Um, <laughs> I got started in it. I just got involved in politics because I was fed up. I, can you hear me? Yeah, we've got you. We've okay, got good, you. Good. Yeah, you're good. Uh, yeah, I got into politics just because I was fed up, and I had um, uh, started spending my time uh, trying to get a message out that was a little bit different from what we we're hearing from the Republicans and Democrats. And so, at the time, you didn't have internet or anything like that. That was back in the uh, early '90s, and so uh, I got involved with some like-minded people in the Libertarian Party, and uh, you know, running for office and. Helping other people run for office that was one way for us to get on talk radio. And uh, because I, I had a business at the time, I wasn't interested. And I, I never really thought I would be uh, on radio. And then eventually I got behind the camera doing some work for an organization that was fighting against the uh, climate, uh, as I call it, the climate MacGuffin, because it really is uh, this, this phony thing that they hold out there, this goal that they hold out there for you. And I've seen it go from... Uh, global cooling, we're going to have a new ice age to global warming, and all the yes. icebergs are going to melt, and then they change it to a <laughs> pandemic MacGuffin, and now we're back to the climate MacGuffin, as well as a Russian MacGuffin. Uh, I mean, we've just got all these different things, but the solution is always the same. You know, shut everything down. Yes. Uh, take all the food and energy from everybody. So, yeah, I got into it uh, that way, and gradually started doing some stuff behind the uh, the camera for an organization, and then uh, we, um, uh, I started entering some, uh, uh contests and, and doing some videos for that. And that's how I got to, uh, info 
and I uh, did that for about nine years, I guess. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, started uh, uh, after I got fired by Alex, uh, I started doing my own uh, news. So <laughs> here I am. Well, David Knight is with us. He is fantastic. He is uh, probably the busiest man in broadcasting. Uh, you can find the David Knight show all over the place. Uh, he's on iHeartRadio. He's on all the different podcast platforms. Uh, David, if people want to want to get a hold of you online, do you have a website we can send people to? Yeah, you can go to thedavidknightshow.com, and that shows a lot of links to where we are on podcasts. I'm on all the major podcast uh, platforms except Spotify. Uh, I'm not on YouTube, but you'll find me on BitChute and uh, YouTube and Odyssey and Rumble, and there are links to that as well. And so we put up the full show uh, in terms of video, and then we put up some cuts from the full show because the full show is That's three awesome. hours. A lot of times people don't want to start into that, but we kind of oh, give yeah. people an idea of uh, <laughs> what the topics are. And um, with the show description, and so we have. Uh, the full show is a podcast. The full show is a video broadcast. You'll find the links to that at thedavidknightshow.com. That's awesome. David Knight with us today. So I want to start with Dan Perkins. Dan, uh, they often say you're the most dangerous man in radio. What, 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 what do you have for David? <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us, David. Um, uh, as a fellow broadcaster, I'm always interested in see what's happening. I'm curious if I heard you correctly. Did you say you do a three-hour show? Yeah, three-hour tour, <laughs> like Northern <laughs> Island, uh, Monday through Friday. Yeah, and then I do a couple of hours on Saturday with Rockfin that are live as well. <laughs> um, wow. Do you find um, it's hard to hold an audience for three hours? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. It's uh, I don't have any. It seems like when I we look at it. Uh, on places where we see the live audience as it's happening. It seems pretty consistent throughout the program on places like Twitter and on Rockfin, other places I've looked at. Uh, I don't have any information as far as how long people watch when they are on um, on video or if when they're on a podcast, but uh, uh, we do see that on the live broadcasts on Twitter. It seems to be pretty consistent. I wonder, because I have, I have a couple of friends who who do shows, three hours, four hours, five hour shows. Mm. And um, uh, I, I find it, a, not that there isn't that much to talk about, but but can you keep your energy up for three to five hours? It's, it's, it's a tough tough thing to do. But what yeah. I'm wondering about is, do you, do you see, uh, do you see, um, hold on, we got a problem here. <laughs> we've got we've got David Knight with us today. We've also got Dan Perkins and IQL Rizzoli. Um, David, while, while Dan gets adjusted there, um, what was the transition like going from InfoWars to doing your own thing again? Well, it really wasn't that different because I was pretty much doing all my content uh, when I was there. And um, so we just jumped into it. Um, uh, I got abruptly fired on a Thursday after I finished the show, so we missed uh, <laughs> Friday, and then we started broadcasting from home on a Monday, and we started doing it first with just a handheld iPhone. It took us 
a couple of weeks to get everything set up. The studio gradually came together. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the research that I was doing, it's pretty much the same. Uh, yeah. I guess the biggest adjustment for me was that when I did the three-hour show on radio, uh, it would be um, really only two hours of content. And yeah. the extra content was not so much an issue, but it would be that uh, I had to prepare everything in advance because I didn't have a five-minute commercial break after 10 minutes. Yes. And so the podcast is not the biggest difference is the podcast format versus radio format. A radio format, it was you know, 10 minutes on and five minutes off, and 10 minutes on and five minutes off. So yeah. if I went through and, and got a head start on my article list, uh, I could stay ahead of it uh, as the, you know, we were going through things without having to do all the show prep ahead of time. But now I have to do all the show prep ahead of time, yeah. but I don't have to do a commute, so that helps me a little bit on that side. That's awesome. So IQ Arizoli, uh, we've got the legend with us today. What, what kind of questions do you have for David Knight? Does he have the, the courage to have me on his show? <laughs> I knew it. Sure, yeah. <laughs> IQ is terribly outspoken, David. He is, he is terribly outspoken about uh, Muslims. He knows more about the the muslim faith than a lot of uh their teachers do and we've proven that case by having some of them on this show and uh iq knows more about their book than they do it's amazing oh that's good that's good so so david well, um i mean david i mean go, if, go if, ahead if iq you are interested so david i think there's an invitation that you're looking for Yes. <laughs> That's what he was looking for, I guess. <laughs> but speaking speaking of Muslims and all the various things, why don't we hear more about some of this than we did when when Trump was in there and going back to some of the other presidents? We don't hear so much about terrorist attacks and things like this as as much. Why is that, David? What 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 have what have you seen? Well, I think right now that the attack is coming, the terrorist attacks are coming through the spiritual issues. I think what we're seeing is uh, a kind of a terrorist attack of the LGBT on our children. Yes. And, and so what I want to focus on with people is, you know, I, you can kind of focus on what's wrong. And, and I have to tell people what's wrong. And I don't shy away from doing that. I, I want to tell them as uh, someone who is kind of a watcher on the wall to, you know, what I see coming so people can prepare for that. But the real solution is to be found in Christ. And, and so I want to try to steer people to that book. And, and that's what I want people to take a look at. Uh, that's the book I want them to focus on. And um, if they focus on that, they'll recognize the, the phony stuff out there. And if they focus on that, they'll recognize the attacks, the satanic attacks that yeah. are being launched against our family, against uh, our children especially. It's just amazing to me to see how focused they are on killing kids, on vaccinating kids, on sexually molesting kids. I, I've never seen this yeah. kind of satanic focus on children before in my life. And, and that's what I really see happening. And, and that is coming from within. Uh, that is coming from our own, uh, you know, White House and from Hollywood and from mainstream media and from the schools. The schools are the key issue. The schools are the seminary for all of that. And the schools are where they capture 
our children and enslave them with this uh, degeneracy. You know, uh, David, uh, I agree with what you're saying. I, I have a show on my network called uh, Moms Across America. It's, it's two, three women, mothers, one from the West, one from the Midwest, and one from the East. And, and they have strong opinions about how children should be raised and the roles of parents and two parents in a family and, and uh, the problems with the education system. Um, but there's cl- clearly a, there's clearly a revolution going on in a significant percentage of the parents who are reacting to what is being indoctrinated in the school system. Yeah. But what's still missing, in my opinion, David, is the absence of Christianity and the solution to the problem. That's right. They know what they're against, but they don't know what to be for. And I think all what we've suffered through in this last, uh, we're now 851 days in this executive order by my count, and what we've suffered through with all this stuff in terms of uh, you know, the, the lockdown of the schools and that type of thing, the silver lining of all that, the blessing of all that, is that a lot of parents have uh, been forced to uh, confront what is really happening in the schools in ways that they never had before. And so they now have an understanding of what's being done to their kids in terms of uh, the Marxism and the hatred and the uh, the racism and the anti-Christian uh, stuff. But they, you know, some of them are pushing back against this, but many of them even think that they can reform this institution. And I don't think they can. I don't think that they're, I think we need to have a separation of education and state. And I think the parents need to take control of this instead of going in and begging the school boards to do something about it. Uh, I I see a need for that because as uh, somebody who doesn't have a child in the school system, I don't want these schools to burn down our society. I like the the analogy that Alex Newman of The New American always had. He said, if you got your kid in a burning building, the first thing you're going to do is get them out of there. And then the next thing you need to do is work with your neighbors to stop the fire from burning down the neighborhood. And so I understand that we need to oppose this to keep it from burning down the neighborhood. First thing we've got to do, though, if we've got kids, we've got to get them out of there. David, the, the, I, I've been talking about this issue for over a year since we first started disclosing on our network uh, critical race theory. However, um, I, I do get a little pushback when we start talking about the cause of how did we get here. Mm-hmm. And and my response has been consistently, we got here because the parents made a decision about what their life was going to be like. And when dad came home from World War II and he found out that the wife could be more than a wife and could make money, yeah. we took mom out of the household, put her in an office or a factory or whatever to earn income, and turned over the responsibility to raising our children to the public school sector. Yes, you're right. And we did it from the Second World War on and are now beginning to realize that that was a mistake, but it creates a conflict, David. What happens to the two-household family of income if we're going to try and take control of the schools? That's right. Yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I used to point out to people is if you look at the tax rates uh, in the 1950s, uh, family of four, two kids, uh, and it's the uh, they're making the median family income. 
uh, the income tax, and I forget what the exact rates were, but it was fairly low. You know, it was like 2 or 3% of their income. Mm-hmm. Uh, you take a similar situation when I was doing that analysis and that comparison uh, back in the 90s when I was uh, you know, first getting started with this stuff. And, and at that point in time, it was about uh, 25%, you know, 22, 23, 25% varying, depend on uh, which party's in power. And so what has happened with that is, for the most part, uh, your gains in terms of having both parents working, even from a pragmatic standpoint, because you're paying so much more in taxes because we've allowed them to jack the tax rates up, uh, you're paying a lot more in taxes. Uh, You've got the additional expense of of, uh, wardrobe and uh, other things like that that are going to be there as far as working, commuting expenses, a second car and all that kind of stuff. So you start to look at it, and a lot of the glitter comes off of that second income when you start to look at it that way. And I've also seen it from the uh, other uh, side, Dan, and that is when you have um, parents who look at this and say, I I don't know what this looks like if only one of us is working and uh, the mom is staying home and uh, raising the kids and teaching the kids. I don't really know how that's going to work out. Uh, We've lost that kind of connection. But they make a leap of faith and they find out that they're able to get through this. Uh, There are other, you know, when you start to reduce your your requirements, your expenses, uh, then you start to see uh, things begin to come together. And there are many other non-financial intangible things that give them the, uh, the reward to continue on with what they're doing. So there is this leap of faith. We have to say, well, I don't really know what that looks like. We've lost that uh, connection with it. Uh, but we're just going to give this a try because we value our children or because we want to follow God and we understand uh, what a hellhole these <laughs> these schools have become, what a seminary for Satan they've become. And if people make that jump, I've seen it over and over again, that they find a way, uh, that God blesses what they're doing, not only financially, but they get the intangible blessings of the relationship with their children. And it becomes a really precious time. People are very concerned about it. I don't know if I can do it financially. I don't know if I can do it in terms of teaching them, but they find out they can. Yeah, and the, and the, the big challenge today is, is we have, uh, David, we have at least three generations in our country who have never seen inflation at the level it is today. That's right. And we've, we get th- at least three generations who can't believe housing prices. There's many things that's going on. Um, there was a report this morning that uh, uh, the enthusiasm and interest in small businesses being started is at, at a 48-year low. I'm so surprised it's that high. <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking about a lot of things that are happening that are multi-generational, and we have tens of millions of Americans who've never experienced this. And so that two household income with the price of gasoline going up, I mean, who would have thought that a family with a regular sedan would be looking at $100 to fill the gas tank? That's right. Well, you know, what, what we're looking at, too, on the family level, we're looking at the same type of thing that we have seen for the economy itself. We have these long interdependencies of supply chains and all this kind of stuff, this hyper-specialization, and that is starting to break down. And I think 
the families are going to find, if they look back on this, if they react now to what is happening, and if they start to do some things that are going to help them to be more independent. And so that's going to cut their expenses, start to learn how to garden, start having chickens and things like this, and, and start to reduce your dependency on outside sources. I think they're going to be the ones who are going to be the most resilient and the best able to cope with what is coming. Because we're seeing these extended lines of interconnectivity, just like the just-in-time delivery supply chains. I think the uh, aspects of, of how our families are set up, if we've got all these ties to the outside and we're completely dependent for our food and for other things on the system, this system is being taken down. Uh, it's not just collapsing. It's being deliberately destroyed. And so we need to look at that and start to try to build our own relationships, our own system, and our own ability to start to do some of these things for ourselves. Everybody has become so strung out with this stuff. I was just talking about it today, this, this gas line thing that is happening with uh, Russia and Europe. I mean, this is a Russian pipeline. Uh, the German company that has the turbine is having it fixed in Canada. <laughs> they don't get that back from Canada, and they did. They did eventually uh, cave on it. But everybody is now doesn't want to play ball, and so you've got all these different dependencies. Siemens can't get their turbine back from Canada repaired yep, to stick yep. it in the pipeline. If they can't, Russia says, "Well, we're just going to shut it down." But they want to shut it down anyway, and so you have this snowball effect that everybody doesn't want to play nice anymore at the global level. And they don't want to keep the supply system that they've had going. So it's going to be a revolution one way or the other. We start need to start thinking about what we're going to do at an individual and family level, I think. So, so let me ask you another question. Um, can Donald Trump fix this? Can Donald Trump? I don't think so. Not at all. Uh, he couldn't fix 2020. As a matter of fact, I saw him as a big problem in 2020 because he passed, he was a pacifier in the mouth of people who should have been screaming about this from the get-go. That's why I'm not at InfoWars anymore. <laughs> I was screaming about it from the get-go, and I got fired for screaming about it because I'd really had enough. After the election, the deception was still going on. He didn't fix it. He couldn't fix it. He's still bragging about the vaccines. I don't know if you saw it, but his most recent uh, get-together, he was out there. He says, oh, I can't say the word, but I'm really proud of that thing, you know, talking about the vaccine." Because his handlers have told him, don't say the vaccine because everybody hates But he loves it. He loves it. He has no understanding of what's going on. He was pushing vaccines when they were making them mandatory, the MMR shots in California and the Northeast. And he said, you just got to get the shots. This thing is whatever it is, just going around. You got to get the shots. We got to take the guns and do the due process later on issue after issue after issue. He was not just passive and AWOL. He was actually against us. And so, no, I don't support Who do you think is to be the likely nominee? In What's 20, that? 24 for the Republicans. Who's the likely nominee? Well, mm -hmm. it'll, it'll likely be Trump if he runs and if he's healthy, yeah. or it might be DeSantis. But I keep telling people, let's not focus. I think the big problem is that we're too focused on Washington, and we're too focused on the White House, and we're too focused on the Supreme Court. And we need to understand that we, we need to reclaim the doctrines of nullification. We need to understand that anti-commandeering has been very well established. And this kind of nullification and anti-commandeering and having local officials. The, the real question is, ask me, <laughs> and I don't know the answer to this yet, uh, who's the best candidate for sheriff in my jurisdiction? Because <laughs> I just moved. 
And uh, so that's really what we should be focusing on. We need to focus on the sheriff and not on the president. Yes. And we need to focus on the town council and not on Congress. Yep. Everything is local. And, and when we're talking, you look at what is happening in the Netherlands right now. This whole thing with food hubs, and they have put themselves out there to be, uh, you know, uh, a uh, test case for this uh, global directorate for food that has been put together by uh, the World Economic Forum. And this guy, Ruta, is uh, knee-deep uh, and shoulder-to-shoulder with all of this stuff. He's shoulder-to-shoulder with uh, Klaus Schwab and knee-deep and all this globalism. And what are they doing? They're putting this together to operate at the local level. They're going yep. to set up food yep. hubs that are going to be blockades for food distribution. They're not just shutting down our food production with this nonsense about nitrogen. They're going to control food distribution, and they're going to do it with these food hubs. And, of course, there's a lot of money to be made for the people who, can, who work with them. Uh, Gates is involved in this organization. It's kind of like a, a Gavi you know, his Global Alliance for Vaccine Initiative. Uh, so it's like a global alliance, his Global Alliance for Vaccines. They got this Global Alliance for Food Control. And uh, they're going to, um, he's going to make a lot of money out of this. That's what his picnic uh, thing is a test case for. Uh, he's going to make a lot of money on that side of it, but they want to take control of our food. And they understand that it's local. For, for the longest time, I've heard the left say, think globally, act locally. Yep. And we need to understand what these globalists are doing, and we need to block them locally. And we need to build our own society as a bulwark against them locally. So focus on the local races, because that, as we saw throughout 2020, that really made the biggest difference in the way we lived our lives. Uh, it was the, the, uh, the people at the local level could, could yes. make it worse or they could make it better. And, and they had more to do with what was happening than who was in charge of the state and certainly more to do with what was happening than who was uh, bribing people to shut down and take a stimulus check out of Washington. You hit that on the head. We've got David Knight with us today. He is fantastic. He is just on fire today. And he's doing it in in, in a cool suit, which if you're watching us on on video, he is uh, the best-dressed guest I've had all week, and it's only Tuesday. Thank you, Um, (laughs) So, So, David, take us through how you set up your broadcasting infrastructure, because you kind of mentioned it at the beginning with Mm -hmm. you had to get on the air, so you just got a damn iPhone together. (laughs) Now you've got this whole setup there. If you're watching us on video or if you're listening to us live, go back and and watch this later because David has quite the little setup there. Uh, Take us through kind of what you had to do to get off and running. Well, you know, I I wasn't really sure what I was going to do because I I thought I was going to get fired. um. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a week after Steve Pachinik did the thing about the sting, and I really came out in opposition to that. I opposed it on air, opposed it on social media. I got called in by Alex. I thought he was going to fire me at that point in time. And then I kind of figured I was going to stick around for a while since he didn't do anything. I figured uh, he needed to have um, a difference of opinion because yeah. <laughs> the whole Trump universe was starting to shut down. <laughs> and uh, he was going to need to have somebody who didn't buy into all this nonsense. Steve Pachinik was telling everybody that two days after the election, he said, hey, this is a sting. We've already started arresting people in all these different states. And Trump knew exactly what he was doing. And he, he's got blockchain watermarks on the ballots and all this other stuff. Uh, so that didn't happen. I, I didn't get fired for opposing that until... Um, I continued to oppose his stop the steal stuff. And so it was about a week before Christmas, 
and I got fired. And I really wasn't I'll sure what I was going to do. I'll tell you, when you got fired, man, I was shocked. To where we, what's that? I was shocked when you got fired because I, I was too. <laughs> there was <laughs> there was a lot of people that were fans of yours because they were either Infowars fans and they found you or what have you. And I know that when 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 you got sent packing, wow. Just some of the different things I read online and social media, and I heard people had you know would call yeah. in and and he didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, Alex got pretty mad about it. He started making up stuff about me too. That that didn't set too well with me. That bothered me more than being fired. But you know the thing that happened, uh, James was, um, I guess it was that Friday, the next day. We're sitting around talking about how we're going to move and get closer to home, and um, I had some people start to send me because i still had my email i had yeah. uh, set up an email earlier uh than that that i was using that wasn't going through Infowars, and so i still had my lifeline to the outside world was that and uh, my twitter account and so um i had people just started sending me money and i thought well you know they want to uh help us because it's a week before christmas yeah. but they wanted us to stay on the air and um so um I said, well, let's just try it because I was also upset about what Alex was saying. So yeah. uh, I we started it on Monday, and like I said, it was just an iPhone and putting the stuff out on Twitter, and we were kind of scrambling around. I've got a couple of sons that uh, have put all this stuff together. Uh, one of my sons was a uh, was my producer at Infowars, That's and awesome. uh, so he started putting the things together. And it was engineer, and my other son helped him as well. And so we just gradually started putting things together. We set up a, a studio in the living room in front of my library bookshelves. And um, uh, gradually, uh, we had some people who, who donated some cameras. And they weren't, you know, I still don't have a real expensive camera. It's like uh, two or $300, but that was donated to us and, uh, and some other equipment. And so we gradually just started getting it out to other places and putting that infrastructure in. And, um, you know, we had uh, some lighting equipment because before I went in uh, to work for InfoWars as a reporter, we'd been doing some stuff on the other side. So we still had some lighting and things like that that we used uh, prior to me working for InfoWars. So we just gradually started to put that together. And um, we're just blessed that uh, that it all came together. And. Uh, a lot of people still don't know that uh, they think that I've just retired or dropped dead or something. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, cause I, I still get people contacting me and say, well, I, I didn't know you're still doing broadcasts, you know, after a year and a half. Yeah. Of this stuff. Yeah. So. It's, it's so funny. I still, to this day, I'll get like emails from various people and they'll be like, you still doing the radio show? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I I just yeah. think that it's great that you have built this infrastructure. You've you've gotten all these things done. Um, so do you do you feel better doing it on your own than you did under you know a, a media umbrella like like Alex has or? Yeah, I, I do because I'm I'm not linked to other people who are pushing stuff out there that I don't agree with, um, yeah. and um, and that was uncomfortable. And I felt that uh, definitely when we got to 2020, it was such a serious issue that I felt I had to oppose them on uh, on I had to oppose their position on the issue, if not them personally. Yeah. But then things continued to get worse, and so I started to talk about 
you know, individuals. I'd, you know, call out Mike Adams because he's pushing the mask or something. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, I waited until he, he got upset with Alex when Alex had uh, David Icke on because uh, David Icke was a bit skeptical about the pandemic and Mike Adams was full on about the pandemic. And so he got really angry and he wrote this op-ed piece. Well, I'm the only scientist in alternative media and all this other kind of stuff. Seriously. And so I <laughs> said, uh, oh, really? Okay, because I've got some science background as well. And uh, so, you know, I we started going back and forth and, you know, by name. And he did some op-ed pieces uh, to me by name. But uh, at that point in time, as far as I was concerned, the way things were collapsing, the way things were being shut down, th this was for, for all the marbles. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, they're doing it right now. They're going to have their new system in place by 2030. They've been telling us this for a long time. Uh, they had the they specified the date in 2015, yes. and then yeah. Davos started talking about it. But the UN made it certain. The UN had been talking about this agenda for a long time, uh, yes. for decades, and they talked about UN Agenda 21 sometime in the 21st century. And then they got very specific in 2015, said 2030. And then you got the smart city, the, all the 2030 smart cities, and all the rest of the stuff. 2030 everywhere, and, and so that's when they're going to have this whole system together. If we don't stop them. If people don't understand what this is about, they're going to have it done by then. And so we're in the middle of the burn down system right now, you know, and, and, and Biden is kind of like Nero coming in to burn Rome down so he can rebuild it according to the way that he likes it built. And, of course, he's blaming everybody. He's blaming uh, the Russians, the Christians, the, you name it, anybody that's in the way. is going to get blamed for him burning down Rome. But uh, uh, this this is uh, this is truly uh our survival right now and the survival of our children, and so we cannot uh, be silent about this. Well, IQ Rizzoli has has ventured over here to the United States on a couple of occasions, and he is always just astounded by some of the things that are going on. IQ, as a world traveler, what do you have for David? Well, David is he's against Trump because Trump didn't do what he wanted. I love Trump. And I think, compared to anybody in politics today, they are pygmies, all of them. Now, the important thing is, America now is going to survive only if you have an insurrection. And I'm not talking about a January 6th time. I'm talking about millions of Americans fully armed to overthrow the government. There is no way on earth, going slowly, that you will reverse what's happening in the in the school system, for one simple reason: all the teachers are corrupt, all the professors are corrupt, and I'm talking about all. When I'm talking about 99% of them, I don't care about the 1%. I don't care about 3% or even 10%. The majority of the, your teachers are not only corrupt; they are unpatriotic. Am I right or am I wrong? Oh, I agree. I absolutely agree with that. I think that I've, I've said for a long time: that schools cannot be fixed. Uh, it's a bad design from the beginning. The government should not be involved in schools because education is not about, I mean, if you want to talk about a technical education, you want to teach people how to wire up circuits or whatever, you know, to, to work a machine lathe or to program, that is something that can be done without having values in it. But that's not what they're talking about with education. And what they're talking about is instilling a worldview and a system of morality and ethics. Yep. And so what they're talking about is whose religion is going to be taught. And I, you cannot have the schools 
involved in that. And, and so it is a flawed design. If you go back and look at R.L. Dabney from the uh, uh, 1870s, uh, talking about how you could not have a, a, a government school system because of that very issue. It would be anti-Christian, among other things. And um, so uh, I don't see any salvation coming from the schools. They have to be shut down. They really do. I agree with that. But I feel the same way, uh, IQ, about Washington. And I feel the same way about the idea that we're going to be saved from Washington. And so I, I think that uh, the uh, what has to happen, and it is very important how this rolls out in terms of authority. And so I think that the appropriate first steps are nullification and anti-commandeering and let them be the aggressor. Once we are the aggressor, there is a certain uh, moral impetus to that that makes a big difference in the outcome. And it isn't just from the perspective of what other people see. It's from the perspective of God. And I don't look to a politician as my savior. I look to God as my savior, not just eternally, but also as my protector and defender in this life. Yep. And so I want to do this the right way. I want to do this with the right, I, I want to have authority, legitimate authority on my side. And the constitution is on our side to nullify this, to stop their commandeering, and they would be the rebels. And I think it's very important that we understand that uh, when you look at past uh, uh, fourth turnings, when you look at World War II, or you look at uh, the Civil War, you see that it was very important for them to try to at least get the other side to attack first, right? We're going to tempt them and maneuver them to get them to attack us at Pearl Harbor. We're going to uh, maneuver and tempt them to get them to attack us at Fort Sumter, whatever. Uh, that is not just um, a, a psychological or a marketing effect. That is something that truly, I believe, uh, has consequences for what people feel and understand is legitimate and what is legitimate in the eyes of God. And so I, I think that it's important how this thing uh, rolls out, that we are not the aggressors, that it's clear that they are the aggressors. But they have been the aggressors for 70 years. What a, it's about a bloody time to do something. That's right. I'm, well, you know, I'm, as James said, I'm on fire. I'm always on fire. <laughs> I'm a constitutionalist. I believe that the Constitution make America exceptional. No question in yep. my mind. Yep. Right. And I don't need any any professor or any so-called authority to explain it to me. I don't need that. What I can see is that the other side is undermining everything in the Constitution. I agree. And I, what I yeah. can see that the only way to, to go back to basics is to overthrow them physically. I'm not, I don't miss my words, honestly. I can't miss my words. This is a, a struggle for survival. Somehow, Everybody is thinking, okay, we, need, we, need, we have time. You don't have time. Time is not on your side. Time is on the side of the globalists. That's because right. they are undermining you 24 hours a day at the lowest level, the children. That's you right. have no time. You have I to agree. overthrow them. But I think that the, the first thing that we do is we refuse to comply. And I think if we refuse to comply and they attack us, they, people see them for what they are. Just take a look at what is happening with January the 6th. I did not uh, support that. I am on record I, uh, on uh, the morning of January the 6th, all the way from the time before I was fired uh, through, <laughs> uh, through that interim period. And, and then the morning of January the 6th, I said, stay away from that. 
it's a trap. Yeah. They're not going to be able to control this. They're going to draw people in. And uh, so stay away from it that morning. That was not the right way to approach that. I, I think if we, uh, if we have a situation where we're living our lives and they're the ones who are initiating the force, and we've seen this over and over again, uh, people start to understand what is happening. And, um, and it's very important to get uh, the, the mass of people uh, on your side to understand what the issues yes. are, to understand who the aggressor is, to understand where the lines of authority are. And one of the things about the Constitution I think that's important, IQ, is the fact that we do not have a hierarchical government. The sheriff has a great deal of authority, and so do state officials. And you have yep. federal officials, and the, the state and federal governments were divided for the purpose of keeping things from being consolidated. And so you've got a lot of different people that can come in from different areas that can oppose what is happening. But ultimately... It's going to be at the local level. That's where the rubber meets the road. Yes. And that's why I say we have got, we are upside down. One of the things that they do is they misdirect us and they focus us on the wrong things. And we are focused on the most distant aspects of government, uh, thinking that we're going to be able to uh, resist that or uh, to, um, in, in terms of direct resistance, when it ne the resistance needs to be done, not in Washington, but it needs to be done in our community against what is coming at us from Washington. I think that is our best chance. I agree with you, but uh, well, let's look at it logically. Antifa and Black Lives Matter have been burning the towns down. Yes. And nobody is doing anything about it at the local level. I agree. Why? You see, most Americans who have guns are not Democrats. 99% <laughs> of them are not Democrats. Yeah. They are conservatives, and they have the guns legally. Why aren't they going and losing, using them against Antifa and Black Lives Matter? That's what I can't understand. Well, you know, when you had uh, Ferguson, I remember, because um, we had some reporters that were there. Uh, I was not at that uh, event, uh, but uh, Joe Biggs and others were. And what was happening was they had, uh, uh, they had Oath Keeper guys that got together, and, and they would protect businesses that wanted them to help to protect. And what did they do? You know, they made them, they showed themselves that they were there, that they had weapons and that they were willing to use them. And then they didn't have to use them. And that's one of the key things about the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment, in many ways, is like the mutually assured destruction of nuclear weapons. You know, you have that deterrent there. Hopefully, you're not going to have people that are crazy enough on the other side to use it, but you're prepared to use it if necessary. And yeah. that is... Um, what I think the Second Amendment truly is, I've had these arguments with reporters back in the 90s when I got involved uh, with the Libertarian Party. We're pushing uh, the Second Amendment, and it was unheard of at that point in time for people to say the purpose of the Second Amendment is to keep an authoritarian and out-of-control government in line. And they'd say, well, what are you going to do about it? They would say the same, same types of things that we've heard from Eric Swalwell, uh, from Joe Biden, from Beto O'Rourke. Uh, well, we've got a big military, and we've got planes, and we've got bombs, and you're not going to do anything with those guns. And I said, well, no, actually you can't. It's called asymmetric warfare. And we've had now many more asymmetric wars since that period of time, and we lose those. We can go in and destroy the military, but we cannot control the area in an asymmetric war. Right now, the U.S. is trying to set that up in Ukraine because they know that that's almost an impossible thing to control. And, and so we need to get people to understand that the purpose of the Second Amendment is as a deterrent. And hopefully, that will be, if we stand strong at the local level, hopefully that kind of deterrent 
will, will work as it did in some of those businesses in Ferguson when you had armed men standing there guarding uh, shooters on the roof and that type of thing. So uh, it may not work. We may have a suicidal government at this point. It's starting to look like that's the way they are. And so we better be prepared uh, to defend things. But we also need to be wise about how this all begins and uh, the posture that we take from this uh, from the very beginning. But be prepared for it, but be wise about how we posture and present ourselves. We need to look as if we are going to uh, uh, certainly need to look uh, and make it clear that we are not hesitant to use this if necessary, but uh, we want to show it in a sense that perhaps we can keep that from happening. Same thing they did with nuclear weapons throughout the Cold War. So, Dan, uh, listening to our guest and IQ batted around, it looks like you've got uh, a question. Probably more than one, Jim. <laughs> um, I, I I listen with great interest of the, the conversation between IQ and our guest, and uh, <clears throat> one of the things that um, observations I would make is that right now the people who would subscribe to what our guest is saying is something less than 330 million in the United States. Perhaps less than 100 million, perhaps less than 10 million. I don't know. But I do know that the power of the woke and the, and the, the progressive political movement on a global basis outnumbers us many, 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 many times. Yes. And I question how can we as a small group of American people, not only change what's going on in our country, but what's going on in the rest of the world, which is much more liberal, much more progressive than we are. Number two, I, I look at elections, and yes, it's true that elections have consequences, yep. but it's also true that for the longest time in the history of our country, we were taught that elections were more about local than anything else. And our guest seems to be talking about local being important. But the practical reality is, in the Virginia governor race, $60 million came outside of the state to try and influence the outcome of the election. So until we can do something to stop the flow of money, then every every Congress seat and every senator seat is a national election. Now, it's not just a local election. And so we've got to do something about the money that's being used in the election process where special interests are gaining yeah. a tremendous influence and control over the outcome. I, I have to tell you, though, I was pleasantly surprised this week. Um, uh, I live on an island out in the Gulf of Mexico, a beautiful place called Sanibel. It's in Lee County, Florida, outside of uh, Fort Myers. And I'm hearing candidates running for school board. Now, what's amazing about that is that in the time that we've been here, this is the first time I've ever heard active campaigning for members of the school board 
in Lee County. Mm -hmm. And these people are saying, I'm, I'm running because I'm opposed to genderification. I'm opposed to allowing boys to go into the girls' bathrooms. I'm opposed to all of these things that we're doing. So that we're, we're starting a situation, at least here in Florida, and I think perhaps in other parts of the country, where this come upcoming midterm election may see a significant movement in local school boards and the leadership of those school boards and what will be the ramifications longer term to the curriculum and the policies within the school board. Now, what do you, what do you think about that, David? Well, let me take the first one, um, and I'll try to kind of jot them down here in order. Um, in terms of size, yeah, um, that's never been a calculation that I've been worried about. I think it's important that we do the right thing. Uh, we have God on our side. Read the story of Gideon. If you're a Christian, yeah. that's what I believe. I believe that God loves to uh, use weak people, weak circumstances to glorify himself. And so I think as I look at this and I see these people raging against God and raging against yeah. the natural order, it encourages me in the same way that uh, when David took on Goliath, he says, uh, you know, after Goliath rages against uh, God, he goes, all right, now you're mine. You know? <laughs> you, you've been raging against the God of the universe. Uh, there's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm confident he will deliver you into my hand. And so I'm not concerned about the size. And I think that uh, it's more important the message. The message that we have is the key yeah. thing, and that leads me into uh, point number two, money. Is it a hopeless situation because we have no money? I don't think so, because, um, and I understand, I, I'm concerned about it. I've talked about it for a long time. I mean, it's just astounding if you go back and even look at the numbers for the presidential race uh, between George Bush and Al Gore. And George Bush broke $100 million yeah. in that 2000 race. Yeah. And they were screaming about the fact, look at this, he's buying the office. You know, that's trivial. You know, now both sides are spending about a billion dollars for this stuff. Well, see, it's back crazy. when Gore and, and Bush were running, I, I remember, uh, was it Rage Against the Machine had a music video about all the different corporations that, mm -hmm. were, that were buying both of them. That's and right. That's right. that is the one thing that I, I seem to be seeing a, a lot more nowadays on the, the, the progressive side of things and the conservative side of things is that both sides keep talking about money and politics. Um, in fact, one day, which I find so strange, I, I felt like I was living in a fantasy world, but I turned on the Young Turks. And they were talking about democracy had been captured by by uh, multinational corporations. And then oh, I turned noticed. on Alex Jones, <laughs> and he said, well, multinational corporations have captured democracy. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> Wait a second it here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's such an obvious thing. Uh, it's what I was talking about today when I was talking on my show today when I was talking about the food hubs and yes. about picnic and about yes. gates and all the rest of this stuff. I mean, they're putting this out there and they're openly saying, uh, we need to have the private investors come in and bring your money in. They can't do this without you. So they have this yeah. public-private partnership that's always happening. And, um, you know, they're, they're getting rich. They're stealing everything from us. And everybody understands that that is the issue. And as you get more and more money into these, uh, these races, and now... 
Uh, look at the amount of money that George Soros is pouring into district attorney office uh, races yes. and things like that. And and so that's you know they're they're putting millions of dollars into those races. Uh, and as that as that happens, as they keep flooding more and more money into politics, and as the politics on both sides are taking more and more authority away from us and more decision-making cap uh, uh, capability and independence and liberty away from us, then they become uh, – it's like a, a black hole that starts to yes. pull in gravitational things. And as it pulls more stuff in, it accelerates that. And so what has happened is our entire political system, but especially in Washington, has become not a swamp. But it's become a black hole that is sucking in money from an influence and taking sucking away yep. the life yep. of us as well as our liberty and our constitution. And, and so how do we get away from that? I think a good example of that, if you remember uh, the fights uh, against Monsanto, glyphosate, uh, decambra, and things yes. like that. Yes. When you had a situation, and one of the reasons that they put together the Dark Act and went to Washington was because they were getting their head handed to them by farmers. And farming community after farming community, they would go in and say, well, we understand what's going on with this stuff. It's a poison. It's going to poison our soil. We won't be able to grow anything except their seeds. We don't want this to happen. And we want to prohibit it in our area because when our neighbor sprays it, it's drifting over onto our property and it's poisoning our land. And so... They were putting in rules and regulations. Monsanto came in. I remember there was uh, one community in particular. This is kind of the final straw for them. They spent $8 million Jeez. trying to oppose the banning of glyphosate in that area, and they lost. And they couldn't what? believe it. You know, And they lost. Why? Because of an informed citizenry. The people in that area were largely yep. farmers. They understood what the issue was. And it didn't matter how many slick commercials they're going to put on television. And so I, and I think the same thing, uh, you, when you look at what happened with Trump, he was able to go around that mass media propaganda campaign in 2016. If you can get the information out there and if you can connect with the people, uh, that is the only tool that we've got is the truth. And that's yes. why we can't sacrifice the truth for an audience. And that's what I was telling yes. Alex. I said that from the from day one with this Pachenik stuff. I said, once you uh, sell people out on the truth, you've got nothing to offer. The only thing that we have is the truth, yep. especially as journalists. That is our stock and trade, and that is our power. And so I think the size doesn't matter. I think the money doesn't matter if we are focused on the truth, if we are focused on God. And I would just say the last uh, bit of it, um, I, I'm encouraged as well to see people engaged in school boards because yes. I'm, I'm encouraged to see. I, I see it as revival that God has turned the hearts of the fathers to the children and the mothers now to the children. Because the mothers have, as they entered the workforce, as, um, as Dan was talking about this, you know, the same type of situation as you are focused outside of the family, right? It's, it's very easy to ignore what is happening in your family. And we've all experienced this as parents. And one of the key things about revival is that God would focus the father, who more than the mother in a traditional family, was focused outside. But now the mother is focused outside as well. So God is turning the hearts of the parents, not just the fathers, but the parents, back to their children, back to their family. And that's a good thing. And I think what we're seeing at the school boards uh, is indicative of that, as well as the revulsion of this uh, against this degeneracy and this um, revolutionary Marxism that is being put on the kids, uh, all the different aspects of it. But um, I would just say this, that we have to not simply be against something. 
Yes. It's not enough for us to react to it and say, stop, I don't want that. I want what we had before. Well, what did we have before? <laughs> uh, could we do better than what we had before? Do we have a vision yeah. of what, a, uh, what we want to have in our society? And, and so, again, the size uh, you know, the, is, is something we don't worry about if we are focused on God. And the money is something we don't worry about if we are focused on the truth. Yep. And their plans are something that we don't worry about as long as we are focused on our positive model that I would say is going to be based on Christianity. And I'm not preaching Christian nationalism from the sense that I'm going yeah. to try to impose this on other people. This is something that has to happen as a spiritual revival outside of politics. Politics, yes. I, I spend all my time on politics, but politics is not the ultimate thing. Uh, it may be the penultimate thing, but it, you know, right there underneath it, because it's a, a tactic that is being used against us. But we got to focus on what the ultimate thing is. We have a pattern that has been given to us, and that is what we need to lift up as a standard, rather than just saying, I'm against that, yep. and not having something that is a standard that we want to approach and uh, to try to, to uh, bring to reality. Well said, my friend. Um, well, as, we, as we wrap up here... I want to start with IQ Arizoli, and then I have a weird, fun question for David at the end. But IQ, how do we get your books and everything, my friend? Just Google my name, El Rasuli, A-L-R-A-S-S-O-L-I. I would like to ask Dave one question. Yes, go. Does he, Dave, do you ever mention anything about the persecution of Christians in Africa? Oh, yeah, yeah. Talk a lot about you what's do? going on. Because you must be the only one. <laughs> I know. I mean, you I, I talk about the persecution of Christians Nobody in China as well. You know, they only care about the Muslims. I'm sorry. No, go, go. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go on. What did you say? Well, I was going to say, it, it amazes me, IQ, to, to see, you know, they, they only care about the Uyghurs. It's like, okay, I understand why they're doing the Uyghurs, but you know that yeah. this kind of persecution has been happening to Christians for a very, very long time, and even to the Falun Gong. Uh, it's not. Uh, but the only thing, interestingly enough, they care about in China, for example, is the persecution of the Muslim Uyghurs. But right. in, uh, in Africa, what is happening with, um, especially in Nigeria, it is absolutely amazing what is happening there. And in one of the jurisdictions, they just had uh, a, uh, because the government's not doing anything, in one of the jurisdictions, however, they did have a government official saying, we're going to allow people to start to carry some firearms for their own self-protection. Well, that's a revolutionary thing for them. It certainly is, but it's, that's how bad it is. I mean, it's just horrific in Nigeria right now. By the way, it's not only Nigeria now. It's yeah. in Mozambique, in the Congo Republic, all of Middle Africa, all yeah. of it is Islamic now. Yes. And they're slaughtering them on a daily basis, and nobody mentions anything. That's right. So, Dan... Uh, yes, how do we get your books and bring us up to speed on the nonprofit and everything you're involved in? Well, the, um, we're speaking to a new, not a new, but a, a veterans group in seven states that deals with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And we're talking to them about participating in songs and stories for soldiers. And they're very excited about it. And so are we. So it would give us, uh, I have no idea how many, but a lot of uh, new facilities that we could be working with to help treat our veterans. Um, the uh, Blacks and White Network is exploding in terms of content and shows and, and people, and uh, we're going to make another ramp up on August 1st with uh, uh, several new shows coming on the network. 
and um, there's a paper shortage, so my my book has been delayed. My two books have been delayed, but I think they're coming soon. They'll be on Amazon along with my other books, and then all of my commentary, most of my not all of it, but most of my commentary is on Dan Perkins Dot Guru. And uh, thank you for joining us today, sir. Yes, David, it, this was well, fantastic. I uh, really enjoyed this. Just. We just batted it around today. There was there was. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's good that we have uh, di- some slight difference of opinion on some things, and it's always good to talk about that. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Okay, my fun final question that I have to ask, okay. and, I, and I know you're gonna get you're gonna get a big smile on your face. Is there ever gonna be a day where we could see Glenn Beck and Alex Jones work together? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you bet. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think so. Uh, who knows what's going to happen in the future? But yeah, um, you know they—they're a lot more alike than you would think. Yes. You know, for the longest time, Glenn Beck has uh, you know copied Alex. Oh yeah. And even Rolling Stone pointed that out uh, over and over again. But um, they're kind of from the same perspective. And I'll—I'll I'll never forget when I was at the Bundy Ranch, uh, how Glenn Beck. Uh, stuck the knife in um, Clive and Bundy's back saying, well, uh, would you call yourself a sovereign citizen? He knew exactly what that meant. And uh, he knew that was a label uh, that was used by the the police to uh, identify people as being a a threat to their safety. You know, shoot first and (laughs) ask questions later if somebody's a sovereign citizen. I mean, he was putting a target on his back. Yeah. And uh, Cliven didn't really understand what that was, and and it truly was amazing. And I was it was amazing to hear what he had to say about that when I was there, yeah. and knew what was happening. So, yeah, there are people. You know, Glenn Beck kind of hanged back until it's just the right time, and then he'll come out to uh, stick the knife in your back. <laughs> and so I think there's a lot of overlap between the two of them. Yes. Absolutely. Well, David, before we let you go, my friend, how do we get the show, hear the show, see the show, everything? Well, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, at thedavidnightshow.com. Right now, that's just kind of a splash page. Uh, we've got more of a website that uh, we're finally getting around to developing. That's the thing that we've been the slowest about doing. But you can still find all the places where you can get the podcast. That's the way a lot of people listen to it. Uh, you know, if you're listening to a podcast while you're doing something, a three-hour show, it's no big issue. Yeah. And uh, you can listen to it at a faster speed, that type of thing. So there's there's links to where the show is. Uh, if you know the name of the show, you'll find it everywhere except Spotify. And then there's links to the different uh, video channels that we have, four different platforms. And then there's ways where you can uh, support us if you'd like to do that. So all that is at thedavidnightshow.com. Well, David, this has been fun. I, I definitely want to do this again because you you are you are well spoken and uh, a heck of a broadcaster. And uh, thanks for well, thank joining you, us today, my friend. Thank you, thank you, James. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Well, uh, for Dan Perkins, IQL Rizzoli, and the fantastic David Knight, uh, I will bid you guys adieu, and uh, I will see you. Have a lovely week. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, IQ. <laughs> There he goes, IQ Rizzoli, David Knight, and uh, the fantastic Dan Perkins. That wraps it up here from our big broadcast. We will inevitably see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Hello. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.